Father, we pray that none of us would miss hearing your voice today. You'd speak into each of our lives and make us more like Jesus. Pray in his name. Amen. Well, there is this guy, and he, uh, <laughs> he was at a bar, and he was sitting at the bar, and he was staring at his drink, and he stared at it for like 30 minutes, just staring at it. Finally, this big old truck driver who'd been watching him for 30 minutes walked over and just grabbed his drink and downed it, and then he began to cry. And the truck driver said, look, I was just kidding, man. I'll buy you another drink. And he said, no, 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 that's not why I'm crying. He said, you know, this... This whole day has been so horrible. I, I started off the day when heading to work, and my car broke down. When I finally got to work, I found out I was fired. Then I finally made my way home. I got home and found out my wife was cheating on me. Then I got a call from the doctor's office, got a bad health report. So I came to this bar, and just about the time I was ready to put an end to my life, you show up and drink the poison. <laughs> Actually, it's amazing... The things that people will swallow <laughs> unknowingly in ignorance, and it's killing them. The truth is, all of us have been made with this God-shaped vacuum that only God can fill, that only God can satisfy. And people all over the earth are trying to fill that God-shaped vacuum with so many other things that are not filling and not satisfying and, in fact, are killing them. You know, we're about to start this series here in two weeks called Knowing God, and we want everybody in our church family to be involved in it. And during this series, our focus is that we would all know Him better, not just know about Him, but know Him better and grow in our love for Him, grow in our trust of Him, grow in our obedience to Him. We want, as a church, we want to come to a place where we are drawing closer and closer to God, experiencing more and more of his nearness. And we think this, this series is really set up for us to be able to do that if we really cooperate with, with what we plan on doing. So the question we want to start off with is I kind of want to ramp up to the series this Sunday and next Sunday before we launch into the full-blown series in two weeks. I want us to answer the question, how can we? How can we taste more of the presence and the power and the love of God? Well, actually, Jesus answers that question for us. He answers it very simply and directly, and I want us to go to the passage where he does that. It's a passage many of you might be familiar with, but we want to go back to it and really lay a foundation for where we're going to be going over these next nine weeks starting today. The passage is the Gospel of John in chapter 4. Now, in John chapter 4, Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well in Samaria. The disciples have gone to town to get food. They left Jesus there. He's by himself. He encounters this Samaritan woman at this well, and they have a conversation, a conversation that we are going to jump into that's going to great, really enable us to greatly understand some things we need to understand if we're going to really accomplish what I think God wants to accomplish with this series. Now, before we jump into that conversation, I need to give you a little bit of background about Samaria, actually, the Samaritans and their relationship, or I should say their hatred of the Jewish people and the feelings were mutual. Samaritans hated the Jews. The Jews hated the Samaritans. That's why this conversation 
Jesus has with the Samaritan woman is so unusual. A little background is that the Samaritans really were left over from the northern Israel kingdom who had intermarried with foreigners after the chiefs and the nobles were taken into exile in 722 B.C. In fact, they ended up building a separate place of worship, the Samaritans, separate than the Jews. They built it on Mount Gerizim. They rejected most of the Old Testament except for the first five books of Moses, and they had their own version even of those. So there was a hatred. The Jews considered the Samaritans half-breeds. They hated them, and the Samaritans hated the Jews. So there was a great hostility between these two people groups, and Jesus walks right into that hostility when he asked the Samaritan woman, for a drink of water. The Samaritan woman and Jesus then have a very interesting conversation. And I want to jump in and focus on one particular part of that conversation. Because during a conversation, this woman perceives that Jesus is a prophet. So she decides that she wants to ask the question that is foremost in her mind to this prophet of God. And the question that's foremost in her mind is, where is the proper place to worship? Is it in Jerusalem or is it in Mount Gerizim? Her main concern is where when it came to the subject of worship. Well, Jesus, interestingly enough, responds to her question, not so much with the answer about where to worship, but his answer focuses on two much more important issues of worship. Jesus talks about the importance of the how and the whom when it comes to worship, how you do it, and who it is you're worshiping. So first he draws her attention and ours to the how. John 4, 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain, Mount Gerizim, nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So Jesus wants her to understand something about worship. He wants her to understand that it is possible to worship God in vain anywhere. Remember what God said to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 29, 13. He says this, This people honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. So Jesus wants her to know the issue really is not where, but how. But he isn't through. He isn't, it isn't just the how that is important when it comes to worship. Jesus wants her to know it's also the whom that you're worshiping. John 4, 22, Jesus says to her, You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. So Jesus is really direct right here. He pulls no punches. He's basically saying to her as a Samaritan that the Samaritans, you've got the whom part wrong when it comes to worship. You can't just name God anything and think anything about him you want and have true worship. It matters that you not only get the how part right in worship, but you get the whom part right. What he's basically saying to the Samaritan woman is that the Samaritan's knowledge of God was deficient. And because it was deficient, their knowledge of God was deficient, their worship is also deficient. 
See, it matters whether or not you're worshiping the one true God. It matters that you know the one you worship. If you don't, if you don't worship the one true God and know him, then your worship is meaningless. It is a waste of time. It is in vain. So according to Jesus, who is God come in the flesh, worship must have two things right if it's going to be true worship. Must have a true perception of God. We must think rightly about him, know the truth. And we must have a vital and real heart involvement in our worship. We must feel rightly about God. So Jesus calls this worshiping in spirit and truth. Let's see where he says that. John 4, 23. Jesus says, An hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father. Get this now. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. So the two words, spirit and truth, are real important that we get this. Because those two words, spirit and truth, correspond to the how and the whom of worship. Worshiping in spirit is the opposite of just external means of worship or going through the motions or going through some tradition and saying some words. Worshiping in spirit means you're involving your emotion, your affection, your heart. You feel something for him when you worship. And worshiping in truth is the opposite of worship based on this incorrect or inadequate view of God. So what Jesus is simply saying is this. If we're going to be true worshipers, we have to have right thinking and right feeling when we worship or it's not true worship. So our worship has to be grounded in the truth and it must have strong affection or it's not true worship. That's what Jesus says. Now back to Samaria for a moment. The disciples had gone to get food. They left Jesus there alone. Now, when they come back, it's interesting, they offer Jesus lunch. What Jesus says in John 4, 32 is, I have food to eat which you do not know. So Jesus basically, I mean, I can see the disciples looking at each other and going, did you give him a sandwich? I didn't give him a sandwich. And they're missing, they're missing the whole point. What Jesus is saying is, I've been eating the whole time you've been gone. But what have you been eating? Well, he says, John 4, 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So Jesus is saying, what really fills me, what really satisfies me is doing the work of my father. And that's what I'm doing right now. But what is the work of the father? Well, he's already told us. The father is seeking people all over the earth who will worship him in spirit and truth. That is his main number one work. The work of the Father on the earth is to seek out true worshipers who will worship him in spirit and truth. That's why we do evangelism. That's why we share our faith with other people. We share our testimony. We want, it, we, we want people to come to know Christ. Why? Because God is seeking true worshipers 
who will worship him in spirit and truth. That's why we do evangelism. Why do we do missions? Because God is seeking all over the earth, people from every tongue, tribe, and nation, who will worship him in spirit and truth and be true worshipers. I want you to keep in mind now, so if we are going to do the kind of worship that is true worship and not a waste of time, then we have to worship in truth and in spirit, or it's not true worship. So let's talk a little bit more about these two aspects some. First, let's talk a little bit more about worshiping in truth, thinking right, truthfully about God. So we worship the one true God, the God of theism, the creator of heaven and earth. His name is Yahweh. He is the great I am. He has revealed himself through his son, his son who became flesh and blood in the historical person of Jesus of Nazareth. And he is an awesome God who deserves worship in spirit and truth. In fact, I want to just focus a little bit about how awesome our God is because the more we think rightly about him, the more our worship will be appropriate. The more we know the truth about him, and his greatness is which why we're doing this whole series this fall and knowing God. Because the more we know the truth about him and know him truthfully, the more we are going to draw close to him with, in spirit, in affection, and in communion with him. So I want you to stop and think about God for a moment and how awesome he is. In fact, when was the last time you thought about the fact that the universe has not always been here? But God has. God's always been. In fact, God created time and space, and yet he's not limited by either one of them. When is the last time you laid on your back in a dark, starry-filled night and just looked up at the Milky Way galaxy? By the way, if you've never done it, I highly recommend a trip out to West Texas, to the Davis Mountains, to the darkest place in the 48 states. And lay on your back in the middle of the night, and you'll see the Milky Way galaxy with a naked eye, and it'll take your breath away. When's the last time you looked up in the sky realizing that that galaxy, just the little bitty Milky Way galaxy, is 100,000 light years in diameter? It takes light, the speed of light, to travel, for it to travel from one side to the other side of the Milky Way galaxy, the speed of light, 100,000 years. Or 587,000 trillion miles across. And it's only one of 327 billion such galaxies that astronomers estimate in our universe, and they haven't gotten to the end of it. And each galaxy, they estimate, has 100 billion stars. Think about that. 327 billion galaxies with 100 billion stars in each one. Here's what God says about that. Isaiah 40, verse 25 and 26. To whom will you liken me that I would be his equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by number, he calls them all by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. God not only knows the exact number of stars, he's named them each. 
And that just tells us a little bit about God. Job says this about that. He says, lo, these are but the outskirts of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him? I mean, knowing all that is a whisper. That's just a whisper of his greatness. That doesn't even come close. When was the last time you went to the Botanic Gardens over in Fort Worth and saw all the plants and stopped to consider that there are over 391,000 known species of plants? From moss on the side of the rock to the giant redwood tree that goes 330 feet up, and God made them all. When was the last time you went to the aquarium and saw all the fish and stopped to consider that there are over 34,000 living species of fish right now, and we've only studied 5% of the ocean, and God made them all? When was the last time you went to the zoo and saw all the animals and stopped to consider there are over 1.5 million living species of amphibians, reptiles, birds, mammals on the planet, and God made them all? When was the last time you stepped on a bug and stopped to consider there's over one million species of insects on planet Earth and we're discovering more all the time and God made them all. And as Job says, all that is but a whisper, a whisper of his greatness. It doesn't come close. And now raise your gaze beyond all that into heaven itself for just a moment. We're given the heavenly throne room scene in Isaiah chapter 6, Ezekiel chapter 1, Daniel chapter 7, Revelation chapter 4 and 5, and gaze with the eyes of your heart into the throne room scene where he's sitting on a throne. He's surrounded by myriads and myriads of angels. Lightning bolts are coming out of the throne. Thunder is rumbling. Fire, a river of fire is flowing out. He is being worshipped. There's a rainbow around it. I mean, gaze into this heavenly scene. When's the last time you just thought about how awesome God is? And when's the last time you stopped to consider this verse? Psalm 40, verse 5. Many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders which you have done. In your thoughts toward us, there is none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. I mean, on top of all the statistics I just gave where we're counting all the stuff God does, there's something you can't count. And that's his thoughts towards you. They're too numerous to count. He's thinking about you right now. His thoughts towards you just never stop. See, the more and more we start to think rightly about God, the more we are drawn into worship of God. So we must know the truth about God if we're going to be true worshipers of God. If we don't worship him in truth, then our worship is vain, it's empty, it's futile, it's stupid, it's meaningless. It's a waste of time. So what is our upcoming Knowing God series all about? It's all about us becoming more and more worshipers who worship more and more in truth and more and more in spirit. And again, I want to just piggyback on what Jonathan talked about, how we want everybody involved in one of our small groups and starting in two weeks. And if you're not involved in one, we can easily help you get involved in one. But also, I, I believe there's in this room and onli online right now, I believe there's another hundred who could host a group. Another hundred. We're going to have about a hundred groups. I believe we could do two hundred easily, because all you got to do is be able to have that packet 
It's got, you know, it's, it's going to have the different videos in it. It's got the workbook. And all you got to do is invite a couple friends over, a couple neighbors. Think outside of the church, you know. You know, a couple people at work, a couple people at school. Say, hey, we're doing this seven-week thing on knowing God, and we're going to go through this, uh, these, these videos together. Why don't you come join us? We're going to have some good food and hang out. Ask them people and involve more people in it. Why? Because why do we do that? Because God is seeking true worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. And this is a great opportunity, a great on-ramp for people to actually get in on this. So, so a lot of you thinking, I, I never could do that. I've never thought about that. Yes, you can. You can do it. Invite, if you've got four or five people coming over to your place, that's an awesome group. You don't need 30 people. Four or five people is an awesome group. And just be willing to host one. So we're out the service. You can go across the parking lot and say, give me one of those packets. I'm going for it. And pray specifically for the people and just invite them to come. You'll be surprised how many people will come that you invite. So we must know the truth about God if we're going to worship him in truth. Now, there's another important thing about worshiping God in truth. That is, we are to worship him in the ways in which he's prescribed for us to worship him. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, do you know that we actually can see in the Bible what a worship service is supposed to look like? Let's look at Psalm 95 for a moment because I want to show you what God wants our meetings to look like. Psalm 95 starts off in verse 1. says, O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. This is a call to worship. Let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with, with psalms. Why? For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. So the first thing I want you to notice about what God wants our meetings to look like is our meetings when we come to worship ought to be full of joy and thanksgiving and enthusiasm and demonstrative praise and worship. Why? Because he's great. He's that great. You know, there's three old words in the Old Testament that are used to describe how our praise to God should be. The first one is yada. It means to throw one's hands up or to worship with outstretched hands. It's just that's, that's one of the words for worship, just yada. Why? Because he's that great. Another one is zamar, means to make music, praise, and song. And then halal, which is the most frequent used word in praise in the Old Testament, occurs 108 times. It conveys the idea of praise, which is demonstrative, boastful, noisy, and braggadocious. I mean, biblical praise is demonstrative. It's enthusiastic. It's full of things like, we mentioned some of them, singing, playing instruments, clapping, lifting your hands, shouting, dancing. Why? Because he's great. He deserves it. You know, it amazes me that people who will go and shout their heads off in a Dallas Cowboy game, paint their face blue, take off their shirt and write a letter on it, their stomach, <laughs> go to church the next day and sit on their hands. And I'm thinking, are the Cowboys greater than God? Of course not. God deserves our demonstrative praise and worship because he is so great. Now, we, we used to have more dancing in church, and we had some security cons concerns and we have, uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but we have uh, experts in security, trained, qualified, licensed. Every, every time we have a meeting on this campus, we have security. They're in this room right now. They're in the other buildings. They're all over. These are the days in which we live. We have security. We're careful. We want this to always be a safe place. 
But in the process, one time we had several people were dancing in the aisles, and a couple of security guys asked me if we could keep, make sure we keep the aisles kind of clear. And so I, I wrote something about that, and it, like, it squashed all the dancing after that. And I'm like, so I want to rebuke you for not dancing, those of you that dance, and I want to release you back into it this morning, okay? But, we all, we, but I want to also be sensitive to our security concerns and try to keep the aisles clear because they, they're watching everybody, but they don't know, if some, you know some, who's doing what, so they're watching, but let's keep the aisles clear. But let's make sure we give God what he deserves. He deserves demonstrative praise, Amen. Full of enthusiastic demonstrative praise. Why? Because he's so great. So great. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, we go from enthusiastic demonstrative worship and praise because he's great, and then the service transitions to this humble adoration because he is our God. Very personal. Psalm 95, verse 6. Come, let us worship and bow down. You see, it's changing, don't you? Now it's, there's not, it's not shouting. It's not dancing. It's, 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 not, it's just now it's getting lower, getting lower and lower. Worship, bow down, kneel before the Lord, our maker. We're getting closer and closer. You get lower and lower. Why? For he is our God. And we're the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. So now it becomes very personal. And, and you notice in our worship services that we approach communion, we get, the songs get quieter and we draw closer. That's the whole picture. The primary word used in the New Testament to describe worship is proskuneo. It means to come close to and kiss, to reverence, to prostrate oneself, to adore on one's knees. So our worship transitions to a very humble and intimate worship. And by the way, all these postures that God gives us to worship, they are humbling. I don't know if you've noticed, but God's put kind of built humility into all the aspects of the Christian life that really, really, you know, cause us to draw closer to him. Humility is a big part of that. And people, don't let pride keep you from being a worshiper. I mean, humble yourself and use these postures because these postures, a bended knee helps me have a bended heart. Sometimes I'm lifting my hands and, and my soul's lagging behind. I'm saying, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, come on, catch up, soul. Let's get there. He deserves it. And so when, when people aren't using the postures, and I, and I know that some people say, well, I didn't grow up that way, and I'm, my response is, well, I didn't either. Get over it. <laughs> and I don't mean that ugly. I just mean, hey, we're, not, we're supposed to be committed to the Word of God, not tradition. And so we, uh, we, we change our lives to the Word of God. We don't twist the Word of God to, to fit our lives. And so, these, so when I see someone that says, you know, I've, I've, heard, I've heard you talk about this. I'm not doing it. I'm just not doing it. I'm not mad at that person. I mean, I'm not, I feel sorry for them because I think they're ripping themselves off. What I mean by that is God gave us these postures to help us draw close, and somebody who refuses to do those postures is actually not using a tool that God's given them to help them draw close. So I'm saying use them. Use them so we can draw close to God. You know, intimacy in the physical world, physical realm, brings forth life. We know this. But it's also true in the spiritual realm. Intimacy in the spiritual realm with God brings forth life in the spirit. And we've all been in places where we've felt life in a service, and we've all felt death. If there's a church that has no intimacy with God, it's it's not bringing forth life, it's dead. 
And so we want to be drawn close to him in intimate worship. Why? Because he's our God. He's our shepherd. We belong to him. We want to draw close to him, experience him in worship. And after we draw close to him, he wants to talk to us. Psalm 95, verse 7 and 8. Today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. He wants to speak to us, speak to us through his word, speak to us in a still small voice, speak to us through prophetic utterance, speak to us through the preaching of his word. He wants to speak to us as we gather together. And I believe he's speaking to some of you during this message, even right now. So that's what God wants our meetings to look like. So if, that's, if he wants our meetings to look like that, then how should we view the meetings? You know, I have people say they went to a conference and it was like the first strum of the guitar chord. It was like everybody's ready to worship God and the presence of God was so thick in the room. And how come it's not like that every Sunday at church? My answer is, if we came every Sunday to church, just like they came to that conference, it'd be the same. If people come from, they're coming from all over and they're expectant, they're hungry, they're thirsty for God, and they can't wait for the guys, the worship team to get up there, let's go, and the first strum of the guitar, they're ready to praise and worship God, that attracts God. Remember, he is seeking worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. He's looking for that. And so that attracts him. But if you got, if people come and it's like, it's no big deal, it's Sunday, how long is Gary going to go so we can go to lunch? <laughs> you know, if we have that attitude, then yeah, that affects the presence of God. And so if we, really, if we really see it the way we should see it, when we want to come hungry and expectant, I think that, that we, we think Sunday morning is going to be an important time, then that affects our Saturday night. That I want to make sure that I get some sleep Saturday night so I can be rested Sunday morning and really seek God. So you know, we're making decisions all week long about this. So if I'm going to come ready for worship, I want to come. I want to come. What, what, if we, what if this happened? What if people got out of their cars and it's like they wanted to run to the worship center. And it's like, I'm entering his courts with thanksgiving, his gates with praise. I can't wait to get into the presence of God. And, they just, and that's the spirit and that attitude of the hunger. Do you think that would draw more of the manifest presence of God? Absolutely it would. Of course it would. So what if we came ready? What if we came and with no unconfessed sin? We all dealt with unconfessed sin before we got here. You know, nothing hindering our connecting with God. And then we seek Him with all our heart. We don't, we're not focused on what people think about us. We're not worried about what, looking at what somebody's wearing or anything. We just, we just got to connect with God. You know, I, one of the reasons Tracy and I sit up front is not because we think we're important. I just don't want any distractions. I mean, I don't know how you, you know, in the back, there's way too much going on for me in the back. And those of you, that, I mean, I'm just telling you, I got to get up here. I got to make sure I'm meeting with God. But just put everything out of your mind and make sure you seek him with all your heart, enthusiastic passion and humble adoration. And then part of worship is, okay, Lord, before you even speak, I say yes. There's a yes on my heart before I hear what you say to do. God loves that. God loves to speak to us if we already have yes on our hearts. But that's part of a worshiping heart and spirit. So our, our worship is to be in truth. We need to worship the one true God. We also need to worship him in the ways he's prescribed. But then Jesus goes on to point out our worship also must be in spirit. Because it's possible to get all the outside things right and our heart not be engaged. And if our heart's not engaged, then that's in vain. And that, that's not true worship. And so again, Jesus quotes that Isaiah passage in Matthew 15, verse 8 and 9. Those people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship 
me. See, the way that we worship in spirit is to make sure your heart is engaged in worship. So has that happened? I mean, we went through a worship set just now. Was your heart engaged? I'm not asking for show hands, just between you and God. Was your heart engaged? Because if your heart wasn't engaged, it wasn't worship. So we have to make sure our hearts are engaged. Our feelings must come alive in our worship. Where feelings for God are dead, worship is dead. It's not worship. There's not feeling. There should be affection or it's not worship. Listen to the psalmist, Psalm 42, 1 and 2. As a deer longs for the flowing stream, so longs my soul for thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. You think his spirit, his heart's in that? Psalm 73, 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides thee. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength in my heart and my portion forever. Psalm 63, 1. O God, thou art my God, I seek thee. My soul thirsts for thee. My flesh faints for thee as in a dry and weary land where no water is. Psalm 27, 4. One thing I have asked the Lord that I may seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I mean, true worship includes feeling, inward feeling, reflecting his worth to you. He's worthy. And And if worship to you is just an act of duty, if you just do it as an act of duty, I want you to know that's not true worship, and that doesn't count. It does not count to God if you do just an act of duty. If there's no heart in it, it does not count. Last week was uh, Tracy and, and my 38th wedding anniversary. And Tracy, normally sit here, she's in the other building doing something right now. But I want you to see the next slide up here. That's what we looked like 38 years ago. So it's not the years, it's the mileage. (laughs) Not in her, she still looks young, but but I want you to suppose that when I when I, you know, surprised her with flowers on our anniversary, if I would have brought them to her and she would have said, Oh Gary, they're so beautiful, and I would have said, Ah, it's my duty. (laughs) How do you think that would have gone over? It wouldn't have gone over very good. See, here's the truth. The truth is people say, but yeah, isn't duty a noble thing? I mean, don't we honor those who dutifully serve? My answer is, now that there's not heart in it, now that there's not, heart's not in it. See, if I'm not motivated by spontaneous affection for her as a person, then roses don't honor her, they belittle her. See, when we worship God, if it's out of duty you do it, then your worship does not honor him. Worship that pleases God is heartfelt pursuit of God. He is our exceeding great reward, the psalmist says. In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forever. See, too many people settle for far too little pleasure in life, actually. You know, too many people settle for you know, a home, a family, a few friends, a job, a TV, a computer, occasional night out, a yearly vacation, and that's it. Whoop-de-doo. When there's fountain of living water that you can draw from any time. You know, I have a dream. I really have a dream, a day coming 
I don't think it's ever happened. I think we've come close on a couple special meetings, maybe a few Sundays, where everybody came and we're hitting all eight cylinders and everybody's passionate and, no, and everybody's going after God with all our heart. I think that day comes. I think people are going to be healed during worship service. I think what, because God, God says, you draw near to me, I draw near to you, right? Draw near to God, he draws near to you. What if we just kept drawing and drawing and pressing and pressing? As he comes closer and closer, you know what happens? People get touched. They get impacted. They get healed. One time we had a healing service, and, uh, and we sang, and the worship team said, what do you want us to do? I said, just start worshiping the Lord for about an hour. Let's see where it goes from there. And during that one-hour worship, three different people who came for healing came up, tapped me on the shoulder, and said, God just healed me. Why? We were just pressing into his nearness. And when you get closer and closer to the king, you get, you get the kingdom. And so I just do, I have a dream where we just more and more worship, our, our, our whole church full of worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. We all engage. We all worship the one true God. We worship in his prescribed ways, and we worship with all our heart. And that's what this fall series really, the focus really is all about. It's about us really becoming more and more those worshipers, not just getting more information, but being able to know him better so we can draw closer and closer to him with all of our heart. I tell you, the only way to finish this kind of service is with worship. Amen? So I want to invite the worship team on up here because we're going to close with a big song of worship. But as, we're, as they're coming up, I want to tell you what happened one night. I was flying back from a missions trip. I was by myself. And as I'm flying back, uh, the pilot, it was, dark, it, was, it was dark, it was night. Most people on the plane are asleep. And I was uh, leaning up against the window. And the pilot says, uh, I just got to tell you guys, look out the left side of this airplane. He said, I've been flying for 20 years. I've never seen anything even close to this. And so I look out the left side, and a few people wake up, and they run look out the left side of the airplane. And there's this wall of clouds. And literally, it went way above where we were flying. And it was such an exact wall, and it went straight down, and it was, and it was pulsating with lightning bolts, just pulsating the whole wall. We felt so small and just kept pulsating. I'd never seen anything come close to this. I looked out. I, I dropped my jaw dropped. I just couldn't believe the power I saw. And then I thought, and that's nothing compared to the throne of God right now with the pulsating power of lightning coming out and rumblings of thunder. And you got the angels singing round, holy, holy, holy. I mean, you've got all this happening in a rainbow over the throne and the fire, you know, river fire coming out. All this is going on, and that is our God. Our God is worthy of worship. So let's all stand, and let's go into this scene in Revelation 4 and 5. The song we're going to sing is called the Revelation Song, but it's about that scene. So with the eyes of our heart, focus into that throne room. Let's worship him.
believe we're ready to have church now. Before I dismiss this uh, in prayer, I do want to just say we have Connection Coffee in this corner if you have any questions for our staff. If this is your first Sunday here, I would love to meet you. If you would come up here to this welcome area in the front so I can meet you before you pick your kids up. But also, there will be some people down front that will be glad to pray for you, some of our leader couples, and if you have a prayer request. So feel free to come on down. But also, please really prayerfully consider walking across that parking lot and just being a host. Just say, okay, I've never done it before but I'm going to grab one's packet and invite a few friends. And you'll be amazed what God will do. Step out. Let's see what God will do. Let's close in prayer. Father, we just ask that you would set us on a course, a collision course with nearness to you like none of us have ever experienced. Take us closer, all of us. Take us closer in. We pray for just a greater manifest presence of God among us in our congregation and a greater just love and power of God emanating through us in the days to come. We just commit all this to you in Jesus' name. Everybody says, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.